This morning, our scripture reading is from 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, and Matthew chapter 1, verse 7 through 11. Matthew 1 reads, And Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Second Kings verses, uh, chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. In the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. According to all that David, his father, had done, he removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord and the God of Israel so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. He rebelled against he rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from the watchtower to fortified city. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. This morning we come to a topic that really troubles and confuses people. The topic of answer prayer or unanswered prayer. The difficult question is, why does God appear to answer one person's prayers one way and another person's prayers another way about a very similar need? Why is it that one person prays and the answer comes this way and another person prays and the answer comes that way. It is probably when we are most tempted to put more responsibility on the prayer than we are on God. And we can get confused and bewildered in the process. We find ourselves at the end of the genealogy of Matthew and we encounter a guy by the name of Hezekiah. Let me give you just a little backstory of history so you'll discover where he is and what he's doing. Israel's first king was Saul, who didn't do so well. David was anointed king. David had a son, Solomon, who followed him, who did well at the beginning, blew it at the end by this unholy alliance with the princess of Egypt, as a result, divided kingdom. 
the northern kingdom called Israel now, the southern kingdom called Judah, the northern kingdom has all kinds of kings from all kinds of families. The southern kingdom has kings only from the line of David. And so Hezekiah is king of Judah in the south. He is from the line of David. Judah has Jerusalem, Bethlehem, the Dead Sea region. All of that is the kingdom of Judah. Hezekiah is in charge as king. And a crisis emerges. There were more than one of those in Hezekiah's kingship. There were multiple crises that occurred. And the crisis here comes up toward the end of his being king, or so we think. He was king for 29 years. We are 14 years in to Hezekiah being king. And it appears because of this crisis that he will reign as king for only 14 years of Judah. Crises come that way, don't they? If we look at the passage in chapter 20 of 2 Kings, we discover these three words, in those days. Crises are like that. They typically do not announce themselves. They typically do not say a crisis is about to occur. Crises are almost always surprises. It is the unexpected pink slip when you thought you were doing your best at work. It is the teenager who is going his own way, leaving you in his wake. And you never, when he was seven, saw this when he's 14. It is the diagnosis that comes out of the blue that makes you wonder how in the world did this happen so quickly. It is the spouse who says, I've been cheating. Crises come like that. They're unannounced. They're unexpected and they catch us by surprise. In those days, what days? Hezekiah had just witnessed an unbelievable miracle. You see, Assyria is the massive kingdom of the day. And Assyria has moved in uh, and captured all of Israel to the north. Israel no longer exists as a nation six years into Hezekiah's kingship. Assyria has taken over Israel. And later in his kingship, Assyria threatens Judah. And Hezekiah prays. And when he does, he he sees a miracle. Scripture says, the angel of the Lord. In Scripture, when you see uh, in the Old Testament, the angel, the definite article before it, the angel of the Lord, almost always it is what theologians call a Christophany, a 
pre-incarnate appearance of Christ himself, that Christ comes on the scene. And so Christ does. And just in case you sit here this morning and think too little of our Savior, in this instance, he comes in and slays 185,000 Assyrians by himself. The angel of the Lord is a force to be reckoned with. It was in those days that this crisis emerged. What happened? Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. He's dying. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not recover. Hezekiah? You're dying. Isaiah the prophet comes into the palace to tell him that. Through Hezekiah's response and God's greater response, we see three characteristics of how God answers prayer. And the first one is that God hears immediately. What does Hezekiah do? Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. He had a habit of prayer. Hezekiah had a habit of prayer. When Assyria was threatening, Assyria sent messengers. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, sent messengers. And they came to the city wall. And they began to taunt Hezekiah's people. And they began to say, this is what we, our king, this is what we're going to do to you. And all the people are hearing. And they're trembling in fear at Hezekiah. They're afraid at what Hezekiah, uh, they're afraid uh, in trembling in fear at Assyria. They're afraid for what Assyria is going to do. And then the king of Assyria sends a letter to Hezekiah. And as soon as Hezekiah heard it, 2 Kings 19, 1, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. His immediate response is prayer. I'll pray. In verse 14 of 19, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. He took the letter from Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, that said, we're taking you out. And Hezekiah goes to the temple and he spreads it out before the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever considered taking your son or your daughter and just saying, Lord, here he is. Here she is. Have you ever considered taking uh, the pink slip from work, taking the diagnosis from the doctor, taking uh, the, the divorce papers from your spouse and saying, God, here they are, and just spread them out before the Lord? That's what Hezekiah did. He took Sennacherib's uh, papers, this, this taunting on paper that Sennacherib had, and he spread it out before the Lord. Listen to his prayer. If you've ever lacked boldness in praying, go to 2 Kings 20, verses 14 through 19. Highlight it. And when you're struggling in your faith, just ride Hezekiah's coattails. Here's what he prayed. O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. 
Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Hezekiah says, God, you've got Assyria. That's what he's saying. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand. That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. What a prayer. God, do this for your glory. Do this for your honor. That was before. That was a national crisis. This is a personal crisis. He's dying. How will he respond? He turns his face to the wall, and this is what he prays. It's bold. Now, O Lord, please remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness and with the whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Hezekiah wept bitterly. Is there a time... When it is good to look at God and say, remember when. Yeah. Yeah. God. Now, now if you go back and read the last two or three chapters, Hezekiah was nowhere close to perfect. He made some blunders. But he had a whole devoted heart to God. And he wept bitterly. I've been with some of you when you have wept bitterly. I too have wept bitterly. Today is our son's birthday. Trent turned 14 uh, about 20 minutes ago. We stayed up till midnight last night. I have a very full day. We stayed up till midnight last night at 12.01, ate some chocolate chip cookie. That's what he ordered up. You know, one of those chocolate chip cookies, ate a little bit of it, celebrated his birthday. And then Wendy and I, we all went to bed. Um, It was four years ago that I received a phone call. The staff, we were at the Cove. Alistair Begg was speaking. And we were at the Cove listening when I got a phone call from Old Fort School. Lorraine Biddick said, Jerry, you need to get here quickly. Something has happened to Trent. And so I left immediately, headed down the mountain. And when I got to Old Fort, the boisterous, happy-go-lucky son that we had known for 10 years was missing and what had replaced him was a young man with terror in his eyes stricken with fear they come out of the blue we had no idea we never saw it coming it was one of those crises that caught us completely off guard caught us totally by surprise 
I called his doctor. Immediately she said, let's get him in. Let's get some blood work done. Let's see if we can figure out what's going on with him. He seemed to do better, rebound over the weekend. We thought all was well. Monday I take him back to school only to make it back here and get a phone call from Oldfort saying, you've got to get here now. And I got there. And when I brought Trent home that morning from school, he, by that point, was in a fetal position in uncontrollable fear and terror. He could not bear for me to leave the room. If I left the room, the fear and terror only heightened. If I was in the room, he was good. On the phone with the doctor again, back to the doctor again, looking at tests, trying to figure out what in the world is going on with our son. Tuesday rolls around. Hannah is playing volleyball in college and, uh, It was my turn to trek down to watch her play. She was playing in Spartanburg. And Wendy and I talked and we said, we won't abandon Hannah to take care of Trent. I'll go. I remember backing out of my driveway and Trent sitting on the front porch with Wendy screaming as I left. Fearing that I would die. That was his fear. By the time I was on 221 South, the tears were flowing down my face so hard. I could barely see the road in front of me. I remember praying this prayer to the Lord. Lord, it's been 10 good years. He's been a gift for 10 years. But I cannot bear this. I can't. I can't see my son go through this excruciating pain. He's yours. Take him. You can have him. You can have him back. And we'll celebrate the 10 years we've had with this boy. But he's yours. My phone rang four times on that trek. Trent on the other end every single time. Dad, you okay? Dad, you okay? Yes, son. Good. Very next Sunday, if you were here, you recall I walked on the stage and I said, I've got to be away from here. And I took that time away. Trent to counseling, Trent to doctors, trying to figure out what happened, what snapped. What went in him? Where did our son go? Two weeks out of school. Then went back in school. It would take Glenda Glenn, who was the counselor at Oldford, and me an hour to get him into school. At times they restrained him as I left. And I get in my little truck and I drive here and weep. No clue. Neurologist gave what they thought was going on. His doctor, what she thought was going on. I know what it is to weep bitterly 
and beg God to step in and do something, do something. For six weeks, I worked from the house. For months, I went to lunch every single day at Old Fort because at that point, he was getting to where he could go a half day without my intervention. And then I would come back and uh, work only to pick him up from school. Everything in our world changed. It took six months for him to come back to us as we know him today. God hears immediately. How do we know? Uh, Verse 5 says, Before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, out of the palace, the word of the Lord came to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, The leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, The God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. God hears immediately, but God answers intentionally. For me, it wasn't the drive down to Spartanburg to watch Hannah play ball. It was weeks and weeks of agonizing and awful, awful begging God to do something. And for you, you may still be in that in-between time where this request you have taken into the presence of God and you've laid it before him time and time and time and time again. And you wonder, will he answer? Is he listening? I can say something to you this morning. 16 years of being at this church and walking with you through some of the darkest times of your lives. I do not understand how or why God does what he does, but I do know that he hears immediately and he answers intentionally. The writer of Psalm 56 verse 8 says this, you have kept count of my tossings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? I cannot tell you why you're going through the excruciating pain that you're experiencing right now. I don't know why, but I know this. There's a God in heaven who every time you've tossed on your bed at night wondering why. He's made a note of it. And every tear that you've shed, he's bottled up. Some of you have bigger bottles in heaven than others. Because your life has been riddled with pain and difficulty. God answers intentionally. John Oxenham writes, uh, he writes in characters too grand for our short sight to understand. We catch but broken strokes and try to fathom all the mystery of withered hopes, of death, of life, of the endless war, the useless strife. But there, but there, with larger, clearer sight, we shall see this, his way. Was right. Amen, church? His way is always right. He's never been wrong, and he's not starting today. 
His way is always right. He's never missed a beat. He's never allowed one of your tears to fall mistakenly away from the bottle that he's designed to bottle your tears in. He's never missed one of your tossings. He's never lost sight of your pain. He's never lost sight of your suffering and your agony and your fear and your anxiety and your struggle. He knows. He cares. He loves. I do not know why he does what he does, but I do know how he does what he does. And he does it totally saturated with love. Amen? Amen. Totally. He loves you deeply. He answers intentionally. Notice how he refers to Hezekiah. The leader of my people, I I would pause for a little caveat here to say, if God were to describe you, what would it be? If he were to say, Ryan, comma, what, what would finish the sentence? If it were Debbie, comma, what would finish the sentence? How would God describe you? Would he say, John, the... The shepherd of the life group, or would he say, would he say, Jane, the mentor too? Would, how would he describe you? He says, Hezekiah, the leader of my people, God, God answers intentionally. You say, why? We'll see in a moment. God waits deliberately. I don't get this at all. Look at this. Verse 6. Behold, I will heal you on the third day. What? Why? On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I'll add 15 years to your life. All right. So God says, Isaiah, go in. Tell him he's going to die. Hezekiah turns his face to the wall. He begins to pray and weep bitterly. Isaiah's on his way out. Tap on the shoulder. God. Isaiah, yeah, go back. Tell him he's going to live. Isaiah turns around. Hezekiah, you're going to live in three days. What? God's going to heal you in three days. Why not then? I don't know. I don't know. Hezekiah, remember, is ill to the point of death. He wonders, can he make it three days? Three days. Well, thankfully, there's an account in the New Testament that gives us a little insight into this. There was a certain man named Lazarus who was sick. Lazarus of Bethany. Lazarus had sisters, Mary and Martha. Uh, Mary is the one who had slipped in behind Jesus with her long hair and broke open that alabaster jar and anointed his feet with her tears and that perfume. Jesus loved this, this trio, Mary, Math, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loved them all deeply. Well, Lazarus got sick and the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. In other words, he's not going to die. Now, Jesus loved Martha, uh, 
By the way, just listen. Let me read this sentence all the way through. Makes no sense. Listen. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? Lazarus is dying. Jesus loves him deeply. Maybe I'll hang out over here. I mean, it's like your kid crying out with a fever in the middle of the night. And you're saying, well, I think I can work you in Tuesday morning. That's what Jesus does. Then after this, he said to the disciples, if you've ever wondered if you can shoot straight and be honest with God, here's your answer. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him. Well, what do they think? Well, it's a Sunday afternoon nap. That's what they think. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. In other words, he'll wake up. People who go to sleep, wake up. Hello, Jesus. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he had meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then there's Thomas. All right, Thomas says what everybody else is thinking. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, listen to the sarcasm. Let us also go that we may die with him. They want to kill Jesus there. Jesus hang out over here, let Lazarus die. Maybe we're all just going to die. Can't you see him? Right? This is like taking your kid to the dentist. (sighs) Right? This is that. Why did he wait? Jesus said, I'm waiting that that, that the Father may be glorified. What came out of this? One of the great I am statements of John. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus taught that he raised Lazarus from the dead and he said, I am the resurrection and the life back to Hezekiah. I will have 15 years to your life. I'll deliver the city. I'll defend this city for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, bring a cake of figs and let them take it and lay it on the boil that he may recover. Now, all of a sudden we know what's going on. Uh, Hezekiah has a boil. The boil evidently has gone septic. It has gone throughout his system. The infection has, he's going to die. Do you know what I don't understand? And I'm glad I don't. Do you know what I don't get? And I'm glad I don't. All right, track with me, track with me. Some of you walked in here uh, thinking way too little of God. All right, never, ever, ever going to figure him out. So what does God say? Hezekiah, you're going to die. Hezekiah turns his face toward the wall. He prays. Isaiah is walking out. God taps Isaiah on the shoulder. Isaiah goes back. Hezekiah, you're going to live. God is going to heal you in three days. In the meantime, take a cake of figs and put it on the boil. Well, why? If God is going to heal him anyway, why use a cake of figs on the boil? Please hear me. God is sovereign. That means he is in control of the events, the course of events of human history. But God's sovereignty does not negate your responsibility. 
Not at all. Not at all. Here's a clear example. God says, I'm going to do this. That's a, that's a done deal. And you're going to do this. That's the sovereignty of God, the responsibility of man, beautifully married together in one event. One happens, the other happens. You chew on that all afternoon. Well, Hezekiah's like, well, how do I know I'm not going to die in three days? I want, I want a sign. So he, he goes for the stars. What does he want, God? If you would, if you would cause the sun to cast a, cast a shadow backward, what does that mean? Time has to stand still to where that the sundial, when the shadow casts on it, it goes backward instead of forward. This is an unbelievable miracle. Why in the world might Hezekiah ask for that? Well, if God could cause the sun to stand still and make some time here, then God sure enough can add 15 years to Hezekiah's life. Small deal. God waits deliberately. Why? To show his glory. He waits. Some of you are in the waiting time. It is when God is most glorified in you, when you are most satisfied in him while you wait. While you wait. People watch you while you wait. They watch you walk with God when your unbelieving spouse doesn't. They watch you walk with God when the diagnosis is grim. That's when people watch. They don't watch when life is good, do they? They don't. They watch when life isn't. Now, so here's the nagging question. Why 15 years? Why give Hezekiah 15 years? Well, if you remember what James read, he went through the lineage and he got to Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had a son whose name was Manasseh. And then Manasseh has a son, and Manasseh's son has a son, and eventually Christ comes. Let's go then to 21 verse 1. You're going to have to do some math. All right, so if you're not a math person, just ask somebody around you. All right, so math, think math for a moment. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Okay? Hezekiah dies. And when Hezekiah dies, Manasseh becomes king. And how old is Manasseh? Twelve. All right, so class, here's the lesson. Here's the question. Was Manasseh born before the 15 years were added or after? What's the answer? All right, be bold with it. What is it? After. Has to be. Why does that matter? If Hezekiah dies before he has a son, there will be no Messiah. There's Hezekiah who has a boy named Manasseh, who has a son, who has a son, who has a son, eventually coming to Christ. God answers deliberately. 
He adds 15 years to Hezekiah's life so that Manasseh can be born, so that the Christ, the Messiah, will come. Back to John Oxenham's poem. I I don't know why you're going through what you're going through, but there is a God who writes in characters too grand for our short sight to understand. He, we catch but broken strokes and try to fathom all the mystery of withered hopes. But there, with larger, clearer sight, we shall see this. Whose way? His way was right. So here's how we're going to end today. In this room, our staff and life group leaders. And you've come in here with burdens, I know. But I don't want you to leave with them. We're going to be up front. All the life group leaders and the staff, I want you to join me up front now, if you will. Come forward. And just stand right down here. Now, these folks who stand here this morning have been through their own fair share of trials, of suffering, of pain. So here's the deal. If you leave this morning carrying your burden, it's on you. They'll gladly pray with you and help you bear your burden. Let's stand, let's sing. You come and share your burden. Your life group leader may be up here, that's great. But if he or she isn't, any one of these leaders would be thrilled to pray with you this morning. Let's worship the Lord together.